right. We are back for Rockheads, episode three, and I'm here with Joe. I like to boogie Wallace. Yes, sir, my brother. Happy, what is today, Thursday? Happy Thursday, my yep, friend. Yep, it is Thursday, and happy Thursday to you, too. <laughs> We've tried a couple times to get this session lined up this week. It's just been one of those weeks. Uh, we also have with us a special guest today, Salem Belladonna. Say hello, Salem. Hi, hello to the whole world. So, Joe, as you know, Salem Belladonna is actually my daughter. Her real name is Madison Chase. Uh, Salem Belladonna is her her artist's name. Um, And and when we talk about Dimebag Daryl, you know, there's so much to his playing style that I thought it'd be fun to bring her on board because, unlike me, she's got... Uh, nearly a decade of um, uh, music theory training. She's a classically trained cellist and a pianist, and she's also a pop song uh, writer. So when she and I talk about music, I come at it from a perspective that I'm an idiot, and she actually comes at it from a perspective of of some really good training and knowledge, and I thought she'd be valuable to have on hand today as we talk about Daryl. Again, you and I have jammed. I'm a wing it kind of guy. Say, what key are we in? And then I just I do the same thing. I just go with it, and uh, I I watched her grow up and now I'm very intimidated by her. <laughs> kind of nervous. I'm kind of nervous right now. So, you know, <laughs> so to talk about Dimebag, I feel like what I want to do is first start off with some uh, some songs from the the earlier to the mid 80s of what metal sounded like. So we're going to we're going to listen to listen to some uh uh, Metallica, we'll listen to some Megadeth. And, and what I want to do is just really use that to kind of set the stage so that when we move to Cowboys from Hell, it provides a little bit of A-B comparison as to really what was going on with, you know, wh- wh- what was it about that sound that was so unique that really caused it to be a departure and maybe a, a watershed moment for metal? So let's see. Let me get started here. This is a kick-ass song. Love it. up another song here. Now let's do some uh, Pantera. Yeah, this is so cool. Now, am I the only one that feels like just, yeah, when it kicks in there, I want to like throw a trash can across the room uh, or, dude, or something. Dude, I was just going to say that. And you know what's crazy is I saw them on that tour in Wilmington, North Carolina, and Sanitarium, excellent song, cannot deny it. Uh, Peace Cells, excellent song, excellent album. 
uh, two seconds of Cowboys from Hell, and you want to destroy everything <laughs> in the room. And we didn't we didn't exactly. even listen to the full yes. intro. And that's exactly what they projected live. That entire album, uh, I, just something different. And it, yeah. I'm sure they're all using Marshalls and they're all using you know uh, normal distortion and everything. And that's and that's the only band that you played that's only one guitar player. Something mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. sound. Uh, every every band had an excellent drummer, Lars yeah. Lars and uh, Megadeth drummer, yep. and uh, Vinny, excellent drummers. Oh yeah, yeah. something about yeah. Uh, preach, brother. That group preach um, just changed everything. Uh, I don't even think it's better production uh, than what we heard. Just something about that album, no, I, I th- you know those songs. I, I think we can all agree there there absolutely was something. And if you think about it, you know, um, for whom the bells toll and peace sells, we're talking like I, I think those songs came out in 1986. Um, Cowboys from Hell came out in 1990. We're talking about in just four years, and it, it just. Is it just me or, you know, does it sound like, wow, there's a huge change that happened in just, you know, four short years? I mean, you know, I I, I don't know anybody. I mean, where do you go to start talking about this? So when we're talking about what makes each of these groups sound different from each other, we have to take a look at the different ways that they create contrast. So in a lot of music throughout history, one way that we make contrast is with the use of dynamics, Mm -hmm. which is basically just volume, how loud or soft something is. That makes sense. Um, This contrast is how we move the music forward. It's how you keep it from being boring. And this is also how we create tension and release in music. So each of these groups... um, None of them really has a lot of dynamic variation. There is basically they're all forte or like really loud or else just completely silent. Right. Um, That's kind of something that's come along with like pop music and recorded music is less dynamic variation. So we have other techniques to create this contrast now. Um, I noticed like some groups, they'll switch between whether they're using monotone, repeating phrases or more melodic uh, scale type melodies, um, how heavy or light something sounds, basically like uh, instrumentation, whether it's just drums or it's the whole band or just voice and bass, uh, all different kinds of layering instruments, um, how fast or slow it feels, uh, literal tempo changes, um, and then style, tone, articulation, whether something is short or long or wet or dry or uh, lyrical and singing or just like marchy and hard. A great example of using style and tone to create contrast can be found in Welcome Home. So this song starts with a beautiful atmospheric sound created by the picking guitar. It kind of resonates. Um, And even when he starts singing, his voice is kind of pretty um partly into the first verse when he's when he starts singing sleep my friends the entire tone changes immediately his vocals uh take on an edgy gruff sound the bass starts to pluck in a much more sharp short staccato way and the rest of the band follows suit and suddenly we're in a much more marching Mm -hmm. militant sound okay okay so that's a great way to kick this off then so joe if i were to make the statement that songs like welcome home sanitarium uh peace cells that that you know, these songs are what you are good representations of what you would expect to hear from metal in the 80s. Yes, that was those. I own those albums. And uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I was I'm constantly on the search for the next thing. Even to this day, my 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 it is insatiable. I'm always looking for something to scratch that itch. And I was very, very heavy in the Slayer prong nuclear assault. Um, and I'll start in a drift, uh, say many times into industrial, uh, your, um, a God flesh and ministry was, that's 
that was too light for me. Um, stuff like that, Christian death, things like that. And Pantera just, I, 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 when we're talking about uh, time signatures and that, do you think that uh, they just played what they felt was metal? Or do you think they on purposely said, let's write different music? I think they were just representing where they're from, you know, uh, uh, it just, and like Metallica and that, I was still, I was still into, um, um, oh my God, what's the one we just talked about? Uh, the, the gray album right before the black album. Uh, I keep wanting to go for those about the rock, but that's ACDC. Um, we, we mentioned it. Oh, and justice for all. Yeah. See, I was into that. And I, uh, when I was still, that was my representation of Metallica when, um, uh, when Pantera came out. So I was in the search and Pantera just knocked it out of the park. All right. The songs were shorter too, which was bizarre. All right. So, so check this out. We're, we're coming out of the eighties and you know, we're listening to Megadeth and Metallica and Slayer and all of a sudden Pantera kind of hits us upside the head with a baseball bat says, no, we're going to go this direction. And you start hearing songs like this. I mean, there's 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 a swing. There's a swing in that style of play that uh, you know Dimebag and, and Pantera brought to the table in the early '90s. And um, and people can disagree with me on this one, but on one of my posts, I talked about Stevie Ray Vaughan and what made Stevie such an incredible guitarist. Actually, it wasn't what he did with his left hand; it's what he does with his right hand. Um, I like to say that guitarists dress to impress with their left hand, but they they wear their heart on their right hand. And um, there's a, there's a flick to the wrist that you see with a lot of Texas blues guitars, whether it's, um, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, Henry Garza from the Lost Lonely Boys, Charlie Sexton. Um, you, you've got um, Billy Gibbons. And when I watch live videos of Dime, guess what? I'm seeing the exact same, you know, right wrist technique that, that I saw with Stevie Ray Vaughan, specifically in a song like that. There, there's a There's a shuffle or a... I don't know. It's just it's a Texas sound. And I found it interesting. I was reading an article where his brother was interviewed and he even said that they used to go down to their dad's studio and they loved to watch um, Bugs Henderson, who, um, you know, he's not a born and raised Texas guitarist, but he spent the bulk of his life in Texas. And, and if you listen, pull up Bugs and you listen to him, he embodies the Texas style of play. And, you know, if Dimebag grew up idolizing somebody like him, then it should be natural that that Dimebag is every bit of a Texas guitarist compared to, you know, some of these other Texas greats. So. I'm, I'm curious from somebody who's who's been trained in music theory, is there a way to explain really what is unique? What's happening with Dimebag style of play compared to you know metal that came out just a few years earlier? A big difference that I noticed about Pantera compared to a lot of the other groups is that as a band, they're very percussive. They're very rhythmically driven. Every member of that band is taking part in the drum part, basically. Like even the singer is very percussive in how he uses his vocals and the kinds of sounds that he's using and the way he articulates. As opposed to the other groups that we look at, a lot of them are more so about the melodic content, the scales they're playing and how crazy those scales are and how many notes they can play at once and um, key changes using new chord structures, um, really just playing with the melodic tonal content to get your variation and changes. 
whereas Pantera has more rhythmically driven content, their contrast is built less with like crazy key changes and more with rhythmic variation. And then um, when they do introduce their wild melodic things, their cool little scales and pretty tonal parts, those themselves are the big contrast. Yeah. To the rest of the very repetitive rhythmic chugging yeah, yeah, music. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I do. Absolutely. I, I that agree. That is so true. That is so true. I never noticed that Phil was singing rhythmically. I uh, And I always, you would think that like Dave Mustaine or, um, 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 oh my God, James Hetfield, they're actually trying to sing or speak. And I just, to, I never noticed that in all these years, never noticed that Phil and Samlo literally is singing percussively i never noticed that so you just said that just now uh because i can hear the right. songs in yeah my head. Uh, another interesting thing that i noticed about his voice is that even the growl and edge that he has in it uh the tone is very similar to the distorted guitar so his voice actually blends very beautifully with the guitar to create almost a single instrument a great example of this is in Five Minutes Alone. So when he starts singing in that first verse, his voice actually lines up perfectly with the bass and the guitar. Rhythmically, they're all the same part. So it kind of creates that effect of the one single instrument and it beefs up and adds some edge to his voice. About halfway through that first verse though, he shifts his vocal part. So the bass and guitar continue to play the same rhythm, but his voice is now on the offbeat. And this creates a, a loneliness because now his voice is alone and unsupported and also a, a disorienting effect because of the change in rhythm. So this is an example of how Pantera will use rhythmic variation in order to build mm -hmm. contrast right. in their so, music. So that's actually a great point. And it reminds me that I want to read some of the comments from uh, from the TikTok channel because I put the question out there, uh, did Dimebag change metal for you and, and how? And Beer66 says, um, to know if he did, just, just listen to Godsmack and other new metal bands, no doubt of his influence. Um, the crazy cat dude said, change metal and was the best metal guitar player ever. Hands down, uh, that without a doubt, uh, Pantera had a huge impact. Um, I, I like this one. Uh, Kitty Mom 65, interesting. Kitty Mom comes right after the crazy cat dude. Uh, to me, his style which was much more aggressive and gritty than anything that was out there. I, You know what? Uh, what Madison just said is, remember I said that it makes you want to like destroy the room? Like of all the music that we listen to, the Pantera just makes you want to just trash a room. The way she described the music, their their songwriting absolutely answered that question. You know, why does I feel like trashing a room when I listen to Cowboys from Hell versus then Sanitarium or um, uh, uh, Peace Cells is because that uh, rhythmic and then the release and all that, that makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, it, it, it really does. And it's exciting to think about the way it really kicked into gear back in 1990. Dean, would you say when, when we talk about Texas and one of the things you and I talk about all the time is one of the things I like about Stevie Ray Vaughan is the up picking. Mm -hmm. And so does the guy, what's the name of the guy from Lost Lonely Boys? Oh, Henry Garza. He's an up picker also. Oh, absolutely. Is he? absolutely. I can't remember if Dimebag was, you know, and Billy Gibbons is also. Um, and that like Texas shuffle, I would guess you would call that kind of picking. Well, well, let, me um, let me see. I think, uh, check this out. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. A song like that, I literally, and and then I'll admit, there, people could hear me say this and go. 
Dean, you're freaking crazy. No way. I could literally see if they he were to pull the distortion down, give it overdrive instead, and put on a strat. Uh, I could see Steve Ray Vaughn, you know, riffing that. The tempo might be a little bit different, but but it's the swing. It's you know, there's a shuffle in that. Um, yes, yes, yes. One hundred percent. Concrete Sledge also has that, which you would think is like a super, super heavy metal song. But I can hear, uh, t- dude. I just broke my thousand dollar samsung phone because the aggression that that song just made me feel this makes me want to burn this motherfucker down come on boogie let's burn this motherfucker down down. i'm breaking stuff all around me right now dude i agree man and uh when we start talking about it i never really and maybe that's part of the thing is most of the other bands that we played today are california bands which pretty much defined the late 80s of the metal genre. But um, Pantera, um, that, I don't know if it's the Texas thing or the uh, the rhythmic thing, it literally, to me, was an extreme game changer when I was already deep in the Slayer and much heavier bands, you know? You know I think that's what we're really talking about here is Dimebag brought to the table this this notion that that metal could be highly rhythmic, almost almost kind of like funk-like. I mean, it, it's, it's all about the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Another interesting aspect of this rhythmically driven metal is that since we're trying to establish a beat, a lot of the parts are very repetitive, kind of repeating the same mm-hmm. little phrase over and over again. And I would say that it's that repetition that almost creates a trance-like state in the listener that might even contribute to some of that, you yeah, know, that. It does. just get up and move because when we're listening to things that are very melodically driven, a lot of key changes and, and such, it's a very mental experience. But when we are just sort of listening to these low tones that are repetitive, consistent, they move you. And that's, that's a body experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally you're right. I find myself being pulled, rocking into the music. It's cool. Even cooler about Pantera's use of this simplicity and trance like effect is when they do bring in their crazy guitar licks and wild notes and all the fun stuff, it almost has this effect of like neurosis and anxiety. It's a very overwhelming, stimulating feeling, especially coming out of that state of like repetitive trance. Um, They're really capturing some cool experiences with very little in a very precise way. Well, you know, it's funny. um, You read the history um, when when they were working on Pantera, and everybody knows the story. Pantera in the 80s was a a hair metal band. And it's fun to listen to them. And I'm going to come back to that because there's an interesting thing about their time as a hair metal band as well. But when they decided to make the change, uh, it appears like Dimebag had a very specific sound. He was going through Phil, uh, what was Phil, like their third singer, third or fourth singer. I mean, he knew what he wanted. Yes. And and he, yes. he worked hard to find the vocalist that, that, he, that he was going to have for that sound. Now, here's the other thing I love about Dimebag. You go to the guitar solos. I don't care how you feel about hair rock. He still shows every bit of being a hair rock guitarist in his guitar solos. They're very melodic. Um, he does the same tricks. It, it, it's, it's so cool to me because it's like when they moved into the Cowboys from Hell and Beyond phase, he went for this this harder, edgier, very rhythmic type sound. But when it came up to the guitar solos, it, he was not ashamed. He never let go of what he was doing in the 80s. He just took it to that next level. And you and I talked about what happened to hair rock going on into the 90s. And I think it's awesome that throughout the 90s, when all the hair bands disappeared, he took Pantera in a completely different direction and did continue the guitar solos. Um, as if it was the 80s, you know, he, he embellished it more. But you know what, man? Did, do you like that album? Oh, do you like one? that album? Cowboys? No, Cow- no, no. The 
the the hair metal album. Oh, power metal. I don't like it, man. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a, they're not good songs. They're, all right, so if I put them in the context of, like, other hair rockers at the time, no, they weren't up to par with, like, a Dokken uh, oh, exactly, to me. Exactly. But, but, yeah, but his leads are good, yes. but the songs are uh, – just everything about that album is shit, in my opinion. I thought I was all excited about it because I, I read the book, and I was like, man, I got to hear this. But as, a hair, like, as, a, as somebody who was a hair guitarist myself playing, you know, those type of leads and, and yeah – you know, I, I was into docking forever going into the 90s. You know, I waved that flag as long as I could. When I would listen to Dimebag solos, I would all of a sudden go, oh, well, this feels familiar to me. Okay, I can, I, I can do this. I, I get into this. Um, but, you know, now that you're talking, now you know what just dawned on me? is Have you ever listened to Down, D-O-W-N? Yeah. <laughs> Funny you ask. I can actually cue up Stone the Crow. That's Phil's band with um, uh, uh, Pepper from uh, yep. Corrosion of Conformity and a couple guys from, um, oh, my God, um, I'm going to mess up the name. I'm not even going to try to guess the name of the band. That's, but uh, Crowbar. Uh, I have both those albums, and they're excellent. They sound nothing like Pantera. And um, and Phil's vocals are excellent, and those songs are excellent. They kind of sound like Raleigh in Louisiana. They do not sound like Pantera. If you're expecting Pantera, you're going to be disappointed. If you come in and go, oh, what's this band? You're going to absolutely love it. Have you ever heard... Um, Damage plan? Yeah, yeah. In fact, let me queue up Save I Me. I don't like it. And that's Pantera without Phil. Yeah, it is. There was something magical about that combination. There was. And I and and like you said, prior, um, you know, the way they took their songwriting um, prior to uh, Cowboys from Hell, a mediocre. From Cowboys from Hell on, um, they were all excellent excellent albums this is like my masters of puppets was you know my pinnacle uh cowboys from hell far beyond driven they're all good i just really like how it's it's just literally excellent uh, maybe because it was so new and so refreshing when it came out but every song on that album is um uh excellent in my opinion so one of the things i love to love to do is i always like to think about metal musicians or rockers um, and I like to think about classical composers because I think there's a number of classical composers that if we're alive today w- would absolutely be a nine inch nails or, you know, they would play with all the colors and instruments available to them. So, yeah, when I think about uh, and, and either one of you tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I look at you know Metallica and, and Megadeth, um, especially in, in the 80s. And to me, it's a very structured um, uh, what's the word cognitive, you know, the, very deliberate on. On, on what they're crafting, which to me would be like a, a Bach, and, and Madison may throw something at me if she thinks that I say anything bad about about Bach. But mm-hmm. he, he was very deliberate with everything he wrote; it was very structured. And then you go into Pantera, and and for me, it feels like he's writing with a lot more feeling. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, not as much about the the. the <sighs> Dude, I think you're onto something because, uh, man, I that is an excellent point, if I may. Um, I, I've been in a metal band as a drummer. I've been in a metal band as the bass player, and I've been in a metal band as guitar player. And when you play metal, you're, you're, the way you said it sounds very, very deliberate. If it's not deliberate, it sounds like slop. Mm. And um, so I guess that makes songwriters um, feel that it has to be very, um, very, very dry. And um, Pantera, now that you've said all that, makes perfect sense. And what Madison was saying earlier is it's very deliberate. It's very precise. I mean, Vinny and um, Dimebag are literally almost computerized. But there's a feeling behind it that um, 
Metallica sounds very cold, but I like it. That's why I listen to him. Slayer sounds very cold and very angry and aggressive, but I like it. Um, Pantera sounds almost as if they're free jamming and just lucking out that it's fucking perfect. You know, it, 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 it grabs it. It gives you emotion when you listen to it. So is Dimebag a Wagner or is he a Mozart? <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Tchaikovsky. <laughs> Shostakovich. Um, but I, I do find it interesting that you said that Pantera has this almost computerized sound, but yet still with feeling, whereas Metallica and Slayer have this colder sound. And I would say it, it has something to do again with sort of what I was talking about last with that difference between the melodically driven music and the more rhythmical based Pantera. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. So with Metallica and Slayer, their their sounds are like more cerebral in a sense. There's a lot more yeah, that's going a good on word, cerebral. as far as like lots of notes, lots of scales, just onslaught of sound and, and new things. Um, it's a very aggressive style of playing and they use a lot of different colors and instruments and scales and sounds to create their contrast. There's a lot to keep it interesting. With Pantera, they're working with a lot less material. They're much more limited in the kinds of things that they're using. So like I said, that repetition of like, you know, short phrases a lot. Um, So with that, how do you keep that kind of stuff interesting, right? When you have less to build contrast with, when they're not jumping to crazy scales and crazy new melodies to change things up and keep it interesting. Well, that's where that relaxed technique is so important. Um, we can talk about, you know, Dimebag Daryl's playing style, that relaxed right hand, because when you are trying to keep the same three notes interesting, it's all in what you're doing with those three notes and the expressivity you put into them. So with Pantera, since in a way they're working with a more limited palette, uh, you know, they do have to have almost more of an expressiveness to keep that interesting. But at the same time, you know, when you're working with just repetitive, simple rhythms and when every member of that band has to be on the exact same rhythm, we are talking about a lot of precision um, and focus to be able to pull that off. So just because the parts are simple does not, you know, mean that it, it isn't still incredibly impressive One of the, and uh, effective just, uh, what they're doing. As you're talking that, I was going through some of the other comments I've gotten on the uh, the TikTok channel, and uh, Nizman Ali, he actually said he took glam grooves and turned it into a new metal format altogether underrated as a whole, um, which kind of supports what I was hearing too. There, There is a hair rock or glam rock component of his solos, um, man, he just jacked it up to a whole new level. He did. He his solos um, and dude, they played that shit exactly like the albums and better live. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree because those leads, they're not your Judas Priest dual guitar leads. They're not your flurry of notes like Madison was saying, like Dave Mustaine. How many different you know notes can I hit at one time? They're not the whammy bar craziness of Slayer. Um, they're not even uh, – I would even dare to say, uh, you know, he gave George Lynch a run for his money. You know, I've never heard anything like that. I never heard anything like that dime bag in my life. And to say it's glam rock, I would agree. So I'll be honest. I, I'll be honest. I got into I, I got into him late. I did. When, um, when, Pant, when that album hit, and if you've listened to some of my posts or if you listened to our first two um, uh, uh, podcast episodes – 
you know, at that point in my life, I was still very much into lynch mob. I was heartbroken about, well, I, was, I was into George Lynch. I was heartbroken about the breakup of Dokken. Um, yeah, I was, I was into lynch and everything lynch. And I was feeling the demise of hair rock or, you know, power rock, whatever we want to call it. Um, and, I, and I was doing everything I could to hold on to that. So I probably didn't pay attention uh, to Pantera at that point like I should have. But but when I did, um, it, it blew me away because it's immediately, again, at the time I did hear him and really started listening to him, I'd already been very much into you know Steve Ray, Steve Ray Vaughan and Henry Garza and had really studied that Texas sound. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I know what I'm hearing right now. I know what this cat is doing. And it, there's just so much feel in that. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to read uh, another comment. So uh, let's see. Where was it? Okay. So Tim Stacy too, says, dime bag style was what metal needed at that time. We all missed the heavy sound with music lyrics that, that we could understand. So last week we were talking about the, 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 the shift in albums that kind of split the fan base. Um, and we kind of beat up on uh, Metallica's Black Album. Joe, is that correct? Did, would you say that at that time, Cowboys comes out and you're like, oh, my God, we needed this? Oh, 100%. You know, did you see that? That um, I sent a text about Chris Holmes, Blackie Lawless's guitar player. Yeah. That documentary that's on Amazon. That's another underrated guitar player. And I was listening to uh, Wasp um, back then, and I forgot how badass he was. And you're exactly right. Uh, when the Black Album came out, and they, they started with, you know, they, I, these record labels, they got to pick the hit, you know, and um, they picked Enter the Sandman, you know, and I, for some reason that just pissed me off <laughs> beyond belief to hear KNC and all the local radio stations playing Enter the Sandman. And then I'm like, I told you, I was at some party, probably baked out of my mind, leaving. And then I saw out of the corner of my eye, Cowboys from Hell. And I think I bought it the next day. I literally, I had to have, and I only saw three quarters of the uh, Cowboys from Hell video. And when that whole album came in from the second it starts with that noise at the beginning Cowboys from Hell that you played, I did not move from in front of my stereo. I actually had the vinyl. I, I lost my mind. No, I had the CD. I, I literally lost my mind. And that uh, scratched that itch. Uh, then, like we were also saying, how do you top that? I mean, as the band, you're like, all right, that was cool. Now, you know, hopefully we have a reserve of songs that we just had to cut down to put the nine for that album. Yeah. Uh, all in that same vein, you know, with the same production and, and everything for your next album, because that's very intimidating when you have a you start out with a masterpiece, you know, but it definitely uh, eclipsed everything going on in the music scene. As far as I was concerned at the moment, Epiphone Tuxedo says uh, Dime and Pantera kept uh, metal alive. They persisted through the grunge wave and influenced many bands down the road. Oh, yeah. His plane was explosive. Um, all right. So my it was it was. Here's my question. His back stage presence was amazing, too. So my question back to Salem, from drawing on your classical background, was Dime, was he Satie? Was he, uh, <laughs> was he a Wagner? Was he Mozart? I mean, uh, what do you mean? Like, So which, what composer would you say at their time decided they were going to grab a, their genre by the scruff of the neck, take it a whole new direction, and put all the emphasis on feel rather than the cerebral? Oh, man. I mean, in that case, any of your impressionists, honestly. I mean, Debussy would be a really great example of that. Um, oh, I love Debussy. Debussy's a great choice. Um, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I love the impressionist composers. Right. I, I really do. So so there you go. Um, Dimebag Daryl was an impressionist guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, it, it does work. Impressionists are, are people who were reinventing our relationship with sound. I think focusing less on on using sounds and keys and such to convey like concepts or stories and more about like, you know, just focusing on the actual human experience. When I hear these sounds together, what do I feel? What experience is being created when I combine these noises? And I think that in a sense, Pantera is, is doing something similar. Whereas, you know, the more cerebral melodic metal is focused on, you know, conveying this, this story, this experience of like epicness and we're moving and going everywhere. Pantera is just taking a couple notes and saying, how can I make you feel this in your body and, and moving you with just sounds, the same sounds we have been hearing and the same sounds we usually associate with with hardness and aggressiveness, and then taking those same sounds and adding a swing and a groove to them in a way we haven't heard before. Um, it's really special. Yeah, so I think we can all agree that Pantera definitely, uh, you know, they created a shift. You know, my question now, though, is I'm wondering, um, and Joe, looking back, did Pantera signal a change that suddenly other bands who were going in one direction, you know, threw on the brakes and, and suddenly did about face and followed Pantera in the direction that they were going? Yes, and I hate that because everybody else was holding their own and they should just keep going with what they're doing. It's just that, um, I don't like copycats. And that that was, I think, part of the problem with the hair rock uh, that we were talking about a couple weeks ago is everybody and the grunge. You know, people see somebody succeed and they, you know, uh, mimic it, but don't copy it, you know, note for note per se. And I, I don't like that. I like pure originality. And uh, Pantera was completely like, I don't think, you know, Megadeth is anything like Metallica, you know, but they have a lot of similarity. They have similarities. They um, do. They I do. don't think, you know, Testament also can be thrown in there. They're from San Francisco, I think also. Um, and there's similarities, you know, the chorus, first chorus, lead chorus, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Pantera uh, just had that, that massive, massive, massive guitar sound and uh, just came out of left field, but scratched that metal itch. And then of course, everybody like uh, Madison said, or, was a, or you said Godsmack, you know, or that was your TikTok. Yeah. People just copy, um, whether it's intentional or unintentional, they just try to jump on a bandwagon. Yeah. And, and uh, I will not, I'll listen to it, but like I always say, I, I will not buy it. You know, I won't go and spend the $13 for the disc, but uh, pay, I, I would rather wait for the next Pantera album or buy something completely out of left field. You know, it, and I'm not going to read their comments um, because <laughs> one guy, there, there are those who are, um, who are not on the Dimebag bandwagon that, that said that he was just another, you know, Eddie Van Halen or that he was just another Zach Wild. Um, oh, are you serious? Yeah, There's yeah. people that don't think he's awesome? No. And 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 they wow. <laughs> a few of them a few of them got some pretty good responses on there, so I'm not going to throw their <laughs> comments or their name out here for their own protection. But you know, yes, you listen and you hear you hear some EVH technique, but I would never say that he was copying them. It was just, you know, there's a lot of guitarists that did hammer-ons or did, you know, did things that Eddie Van Halen does. And it doesn't mean that they were copying them. They're just tools in your toolkit that you use. But uh, did you know any metal fans who were at the time were like, they were still holding on to the old guard sound? And they're like, no, that's that's not the direction we should be going. Megadeth. Meg they didn't change. Metallica did. Megadeth, so he's been Megadeth. Well, Dave Mustaine's um, going to do what Dave Mustaine I mean, wants even, to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know what? 
I, do you hear it? I don't hear Van Halen at all. I hear uh, with a uh, dime bag. I hear, I hear blues guitar players. I don't hear maybe from a te- technique perspective or I don't hear uh, Eddie Van Halen at all when I, um, when I hear dime bag, so I, have, I, have to be, I, I would never make that correlation. Let me put it. I'll, I'll say it this way. And I have to be very careful because I am not in any stretch of the imagination saying dime bag imitated or tried to, you know, in any way be Eddie Van Halen. They, there, there are some techniques that they both called from that any guitarist would call from. And I could see where somebody who, who, is only going to just look at that one thing and say, well, Eddie was in the market first, so therefore Dimebag must be copying Eddie. Oh, uh, okay. I, and I, I would could, say that. I could, I could see that. And I, I would say, but nope. Eddie didn't create the hammer-ons no, either. he didn't. He didn't. There was people doing hammer-ons before, before Eddie Van Halen. And Eddie Eddie was actually a big fan of Dimebag, so I would not, no, I no, by no means would ever say that Dimebag was another Eddie Van Halen. They both used styles within their toolkit that tons of guitarists used, you know? Um, it's just Eddie Van Halen put his... Uh, Guitar in Dimebag's casket. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It was a. a, a They're both fans of each other, and that, that's that's mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a Dimebag was, was a is. I, I get I get questions on my TikTok channel asking for my input on various guitarists, and Dimebag is a complicated one because there's so much to. You can't just say, oh yeah, he was phenomenal because of this. It's he was phenomenal because one. He had a, he heard something in his head, whether he knew that that hair rock was not the direction to be on or whether it was just happenstance or coincidence. He had a sound in his head that just happened to coincide with a moment in time that took Pantera in the right direction, where had they stayed on the course that they had been on the 80s, they probably would have gone out to pasture with a lot of other yeah. bands. He, he I found a, a way to incorporate a rhythmic style into guitar that took metal in a whole new direction. And while doing that, he also still held on to some really cool hair rock riffs for his guitar solos. And he kept them alive through the nineties when so many other, you know, lead guitarists, you know, were also put out to pasture. So, um, I mean, God, what, what more do you say about the guy? I think he only used, I don't think he ever used his fingers. I think he was a strictly a pick playing guitar player. You know, I don't, I don't think he ever, you know, Eddie used his fingers sometimes. And unlike Lindsey Buckingham, who doesn't use a pick at all, which completely oh, yeah. blows my mind. Have you ever seen uh, Fleetwood Mac oh, live? Yeah, Lindsey on, kicks uh, ass. <laughs> Lindsey Buckingham is a beast, man. I, I, I was, I, I was like, what kind of pick is that? Then I noticed he's not using a pick. Um, but I think Dimebag used a pick the entire time for every song. Which makes sense to me. Um, yep. Again, talking about the Texas sound, there's a... There's a flick on the right wrist that you can either use with a pick or you can let go of the pick and you let your fingers just kind of dangle loosely and you can you can slap the strings with the back of your fingernails and, and, and there's a style there. I haven't seen him use that style, but on no. some of his, his live songs, um, you know, Five Minutes is a great example. When I watch him live, I, I'm watching a movement on his right wrist that is so, so familiar to me from so many other guitarists that just coincidentally all come from Texas. Uh, and, and, it's, it's a, and it's a style that commonly is referred to as the Texas sound. Um, so there, you yeah. know, there's the big question. Is Dimebag Daryl part of this very elite group of Texas guitarists? Um, it just happens to be he's a metal guitarist. I, I, I think so. Uh, you know what else I noticed is his effects on his leads are uniquely Dimebag. And just the, whatever uh, sequence of effects and what order he has them in, um, it's consistent from every album and it just his, just his sound is so, as soon as you hear it, you know, the second you hear it, you go, Oh, that's Dimebag. Yeah. Like, even in, um, 
uh, damage plan, you know, but it just, his lead, like the beginning of Cemetery Gates, you oh, know that song? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In fact, here, let me cue it up. It's the one that starts off slow, and yep. it's got the most beautiful intro. It starts off acoustic, and it has the most incredible lead. As soon as, when we're done here, put on Cemetery oh, no, Gates, I'm, and you'll know exactly. Even Phil doesn't scream at the very beginning. Uh, he kind of sings. And they also did Planet Caravan by uh, Black Sabbath, which is another. It's one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs. Um, which is not, there is no distortion in that song at all. I think it's even got bongo drums. I don't even think it has a drum set. Listen to that too, man. The choice of effects that he used, uh, Dimebag and Phil, are exquisite. Whether it was their producer or whoever, are top-notch uh, on uh, with his guitar and that. Well, I think we're, we've, we've dialed in on that one. We've identified <clears throat> that there was a, a difference. Uh, thanks to Salem, from a, a theory perspective, we're able to hear what the differences were between uh, Megadeth, Metallica in the 80s compared to what Pantera brought to the table. Uh, we've, we've identified you know, his Texas roots and put out there the question of, you know, is he a, another great Texas guitarist? Not because he's from Texas, but be, within the style. And I know that... <clears throat> I know there's people that are going to say, well, Zach Wilde should be in that, too. Um, and maybe, maybe. I, I, and I've listened to a lot of Zach Wilde. I, I'll be honest, I just, I don't, I don't hear the, the wrist flick in the right hand the same way they do in Dimebag. I could be wrong. And I'm actually going to go back and spend a lot of time listening. But um, when I saw that flick on the Dimebag's wrist, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize that immediately. So, um, you know, we kind of hit on this one. Is there anything else anybody wants to throw in there about their two cents? Yeah. I wanted to comment on that um, Texas style relaxed right hand technique that Dimebag Daryl has. It reminds me of my own experience as a classically trained cellist. Uh, one thing we really work on developing is a relaxed right hand, our bow hand. Um, when there's tension in that hand, you really can't play as expressively as when you're relaxed. When you're relaxed, you're using your body's own weight to produce a deep, rich sound. Gravity's working for you um, versus when you're pushing lots of tension into that instrument, uh, trying to punch the sound out of it. It's very inefficient. It's exhausting. Um, musicians who have developed a relaxed technique have a really special skill in that they're literally letting the laws of physics work for them. They're letting gravity take all that heavy arm weight and pull it down into their instrument and um, really you can just play with a lot more control oh. and finesse that way oh wow so this is so sad you know you, you how did I never notice this so you're saying that you use gravity mm -hmm. on your in, on your technique ideally in, ideally. in your cello bow yeah. okay all right I, I guess that makes sense I'd, I'd be honest I'm a little bit embarrassed that I never uh, <laughs> never knew this uh, all those years I took you to cello lessons right Right. Yeah. When we're watching musicians play, there is so much more going on than meets oh, the eye. Well, no, that I know. Playing an instrument is often a full body experience. Um, another cello example, when you're watching a cellist move her bow, you might think it's mostly in the hand, mostly in the arms. That motion is coming from the back. You should be engaging your back muscles in order to, to draw the bow across the string. Um, when playing an instrument is such a full body experience, it gets really exhausting. Imagine playing for hours a day, every single day, like professional and touring musicians do. So the masters are the people who have figured out how to do that as efficiently as possible. And you can bet that they are using physics to their advantage. You know what that makes me think of? We're going to go on a completely different subject here. I watched this documentary on Rush years ago, and Neil Peart, who we all we all know, the dude's 
the dude's got, you know, he was pretty good. He had, he had some potential. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what blew my mind is, like, I think it was in the early 2000s, he decided that he, he wasn't efficient enough as a drummer. So he went and saw this, I don't know, kung fu drummer specialist who ergonomically, you know, had him do just that. He used gravity. He learned how to use his own body's motion rather than just playing the drums. He used body motion, um, gravity or whatever to go after this drum, drum so that every arm movement was fluid and ergonomically whatever, you know. And uh, I don't know, as your center talking about it, also just took me back to this moment in time when Neil, who you would think the guy's already a god, what's he have to learn about drums, went back to uh, drum school to learn a whole new technique purely on how to, you know, become more efficient in using just the natural weight and momentum in, yeah. in his playing. Wow. So, so Joe, I think you'd agree. Neil had some potential as a drummer, right? Uh, he, he was all right. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's a good session drummer. You know, we need to have, we need to have smart people like Madison on more often, man. Yeah. I learned a lot tonight, man. That's absolutely insane. You know, Neil, he was good, but with my help, yeah. he could have been great. <laughs> It could have been right. great. You know, I, I I can't learn anything else. You know, I, I'm I'm maxed out. Oh, I'm as good as I'm God. gonna get. Dude, I I, I I know less each day than I knew the day before. And uh, with that, Joe, you 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 got any, you got anything left to say? No, man. No, I I really I, if I'm I'm telling you, man. Uh, this evening, take two seconds, put on Cemetery Gates, and ju- if you don't get goosebumps, I'll be shocked. Just the beginning. You don't even have to listen to the whole song, but you will. And Pantera's version of Planet Caravan. Uh, and if you don't even know, uh, if you never heard Black Sabbath's version of that, who wrote it, listen to Pantera's first and then listen to Black Sabbath. You got to remember, it was Ozzy, a young Ozzy that Phil is trying to uh, sing like, but they don't do it exact. They do their version of it, which is excellent. It'll blow your mind. The breadth of Pantera hardcore metal band on these two songs. Wait, They're excellent. Well, you know, that's actually a mark of a great cover for me is is they don't totally reinvent the song, but they also don't do it exactly like the original. They kind of they, they respect the original by still leaving their mark on it. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely be checking it out. So with that being said, um, Salem, do you want to give a plug on uh, the projects that you've been working on? I know you've been working on the soundtrack for a movie uh, quite diligently here over the last few months. Right. Yeah. I have a good friend, Robert Banfitch, who makes amazing films. Um, Right now, I'm working on some music for an upcoming horror of his called Tinsman Road. I think it'll be a little while before that one is made accessible or released. Um, But it's been really fun. I'm getting to do some voice acting, and that's totally new to me. Um, Wrote some classical music, some pop songs, getting to do a lot of singing and vocal improv and poetry and all kinds of things. So um, that'll be a really unique film once it comes out. So... I hope you guys check it out once it is released. Um, And he does have one called The Outwaters that I got to do a little dance song for. That one will be hitting um, festival circuits sometime in the near future. So keep your eyes out for that one as well. All right. Well, I think we are wrapping up episode three, and I think I think next week we're going to be coming back to grunge because we've had a uh, essentially a grunge expert who's got some great data for us and information regarding you know the formation of grunge or the start of the grunge going back well into the eighties, and uh, he wants us to hit that topic again. So I think uh, I think that's what we're going to be doing next week, um, jumping back into going deeper into to grunge as a genre. That's awesome. Yeah, we forgot Stone Temple Pilots all the times so we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I'll, I'll get. Well, I need to put a list together. There was, there was a lot under that umbrella. 
that's debatable. Yeah, and, and not to go, not to reopen that one, but the thing I wanted to make sure it was clear is I'm not, I'm not dogging it, and because there's a lot of awesome bands that get labeled as grunge, I just question whether they're truly, you know, grunge. You know, what, what it comes back to, and we'll save this to next week. What do we really define as grunge? Because um, it's it's kind of like going back to classical music. We say the term classical music, but classical music is actually made up of. Baroque, classical, romantic, late romantic, you know, or impressionism, new, uh, and try to lump all under all under one umbrella is silly. So when we say grunge, yes. what are we really saying? And there's some great bands in there, so it's probably appropriate that we are reopen this topic next week. Yes, yes, cool, man. Alrighty, I well, look forward to it. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone. Uh, yeah, thank you guys. All right, <laughs> later. Thank y'all. Have a great night.